First Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to begin reading verse 1, and we will read down to verse 11. And he says, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to uh, this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. I speak to your shame. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you, because ye go to law one with another. Why do ye not rather take wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Nay, ye do wrong and defraud in that your brethren. Now I'm going to get into where I take my message from. These next verses, very powerful verses. And he says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now here's my verse. And such were... Some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. <clears throat> Let us pray this morning. Our gracious Father, we come. We thank you. Lord, help us today as we look into the Word of God. Uh, we ask that you bring us a blessing this morning. Feed us from the book. Encourage us. Lord, uh, today, and if there be any lost, maybe that was in this list, and they've not repented, and they have not asked you to be uh, their Savior, Lord, let that happen today. Let the Holy Spirit convict, let Him reprove, rebuke, and exhort. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. And we see here, this is quite a group of people. He names off one of the most wicked lists that you'll find in the Bible. The Apostle Paul used this list uh, no less than three times in the Pauline epistles describing the type of sins that people get involved with before they get saved. Uh, this was uh, a very wicked uh, uh, church, and I don't mean that in a way. I mean wicked as in where they come from. And it seems like that today, uh, the, the going mentality is if you're not perfect, you can't come to church here. I don't know if you've all ever been in a church where that's kind of you get that feeling like if you're not perfect, if you're not well to do, if you don't have it all figured out, then you're not welcomed here. And that is not 
from the Bible. That's not the Word of God. That's a problem that James talks about where we begin to discriminate against people. Some people have more money than others, and so the ones that have more money, they have more power and they have more prestige. And uh, James said this was a problem, and it's a sin, and it's not right. And here we get here uh, in this church, the Corinthian church. Let me give you a little something about Corinth and this people that made up the church. Uh, Many things made Corinth famous. Pottery was one of the things that made this city of Corinth famous. But something else that made it famous was brass, or what we call Corinthian brass. Corinthian brass was a mixture of gold and silver and copper. So it was very unique. It was very valuable. It was world famous. This city was also famous for its contest known as the Isthmian Games. It's second only to the Olympic Games were held at the Temple of Poseidon in Corinth every two years. Athena, Apollo, Poseidon, Hermes, Isis, Serapis, and Aeschylus, among others, had temples to their honor in Corinth. So they were wrapped up into Greek mythology. And he says, but the most prominent was the worship of the Corinthians, Aphrodite, who had more than 1,000 female prostitutes and priestesses in her service. So there's a very religious city, but it was steeped in false religion. The Corinthian people were also known for a partying people, a drunken people, and had loose sexual morals. Hence, you heard me use this term, and I found it again during my research, to live like a Corinthian. It means to, let's party hardy, boys, and let's eat, drink, uh, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. That was their motto. I've been on philosophy. That was their philosophy. You only got one life to live, boys. You've come a long way, baby. These are some of these philosophies that were very heavy and prominent in Corinth. And so later, the Greek writers would tell us that if ever a Corinthian was shown upon the stage in Greek, in a Greek play, he was shown as a drunk. So anytime they wanted to portray the Corinthian people, they would always show somebody who was all the time drunk. And I got that from Barclay. But here, what I'm wanting to bring and draw our attention to this morning was these were the kind of people that had gotten saved out of that mess and were now in this church. You say, how you know that, preacher? Because he says there in verse 11, And such were some of you. And uh, uh, he said, but you're washed. You see, God doesn't care about where you come from. God cares about what you are now once you've received Him as your personal Savior. And God's not going to bring your past up to you. These people had chosen these type of lifestyles to live in. But when a person gets saved, they, they repent of that lifestyle. They come to Christ. It doesn't mean that they're perfect. 
All right? It doesn't mean that all of a sudden last week they were running as a temple prostitute in their modern day praise and worship and all of a sudden this week they got saved because somebody on visitation come by, led them to Christ and they come to church in what they thought they've always come to church in and they come in and they're trying to learn how to worship God. There'll be a process and they'll have to, to, to go through a learning process and we need to have grace with the new converts and new Christians that are coming along because they're coming out of this lost, wicked, heathen, hot and taut, philosophy-based world and they don't know any better. And they were made up and they were all in this church. And boy, here in 1 Corinthians... Uh, he had some problems that he had to try to sort out. Every chapter he's dealing with some problems. Let me give you this. He says, number one, this was a carnal church. If you was to read chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, a very carnal church. And then... Uh, Number two, this was a church that was filled with divisions, if you was to look in chapter 1. And then this was a church that had sin still in it. And we see that they had a bunch of wife swapping going on here in chapter 5. Uh, they were running off with each other's wives and thought it was okay, and then even bragging about it. And then we see that they begin to sue each other here in chapter 6. He begins to deal with them about suing one another. He says, look, you just take the wrong and go on. That's your Christian brother and Christian sister. And then he, they were turning the Lord's Supper into a party. You say, why would they ever think to do that? That's because that's what they used to do when they came to church, when they got into these temples with false worship, they were partying. Kind of like what you see today in the modern church movement, in the secular postmodernism. They got the smoke, they got the laser lights, they got the mirrors, they got the rock and roll bands, they got the dancing. You say, what is that? It's wickedness and it has no place in the house of God. And such were some of you. Doesn't matter that you might have used to do that. But once you got saved, that changes. Then you see that they had church cliques. They had power struggles. They were abusing spiritual gifts. All of a sudden the women wanted to jump up and speak in tongues there in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And he had to try to straighten that out. He says, look, let your women be silent in the church. They don't need to be running around jabbering in another language in the, in the spirit, you know. Or while there's the preachers trying to prophesy. He said, prophesying, preaching is more important than tonguing. And by the way, what these people call tongues is not what the Bible calls tongues. Tongues was always a different language not an unknown jibber jabber this unknown jibber jabbering is demonic but they were abusing it and then all of a sudden we got in there they weren't tithing they weren't given but I will tell you one thing that this group of people was doing and the kind of people that God's going to use to build the church this was a pretty bad group you got thieves People that had problems with stealing things. You had people that were covetous. You had people that were drunks and addicts. You know, this, when people start having trouble with drugs and alcohol, they're like, I can't go to church. I've got too many problems. Church is like a hospital. That's where you need to be. You need God. Then you have these idolaters. You got the fornicators. 
You got the effeminate. You got guys that were running around trying to be girls. You got girls running around trying to be men. That was sin. The Bible's telling it's not right. Then you had those that were abusing themselves with themselves. Homosexuality, it was a sin. But God doesn't care where you come from. He can save you. But I'll tell you, with all the problems that this church has, you'll never find once where they was not coming to church. And so the kind of people that God uses to build this church are blood-bought saints that come to church. And I'll tell you something else you won't find about all this group of people. And as much as sin and stuff that they had to deal with, there was no church splits either. Yeah, I know, it'd get a little quiet, wouldn't it? You know why? You're putting it together. The Holy Spirit just rang a bell in your heart and says, if the Corinthian church was that carnal and that goofed up, but yet there wasn't a church split and they come to church when the doors were open, how bad off are we today? I got news for you. The Apostle Paul would be rolling over in his grave and he'd probably be like the Lord over there weaving him a whip to begin to drive out the wicked inhabitants of the church. Uh, that'd be the goody two-shoes that won't let the sinners come in, that won't let the children come in and cry Hosanna to the King. Uh, but it was a group of people that came to church even though they had problems. They were trying to get things right with God. They didn't know no better. They had to be discipled. They hadn't been rooted yet in Christ. But I'm going to tell you something. They sure were hungry for God. So as a group of people that God uses to build the church is a group of people that'll just come to church. <laughs> you say, you give me a little scripture on that. Yes, sir. See, we're supposed to be Christ-like. We're supposed to be like Jesus. Let me give you a verse of Scripture. Maybe it escaped your attention. There in about Luke chapter 4, about verse 16, it says, talking about Jesus, and He come to Nazareth, where He had been brought up, and as His custom was, that means it was His habit, He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up there for to read. Did you catch it? And we're supposed to be like Christ. And we're supposed to be following Christ. Let me tell you, there's a whole big mess of people that are going astray about Sunday because Jesus is going to be in the house of God as His manner was. And then He's commanded us, you and me, to forsake not the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. I understand technology is awesome. And I understand that live streaming is also all pretty good. But I'm going to tell you, you, it's not the same as being there in person. And we're a growing church. We're coming back on the rebound. You say, what kind of people do we need? The kind of people that's been born again... And that come to church. They might have used to been thieves and drunkards and drug addicts and prostitutes. But it doesn't matter what you were. God can save you from all that. And bring you in the house of the Lord and begin to work with you. But then, you say, what kind of people will God use to build the church? It'll be a confessing church. It'll be a church that will confess 
its corruption when it's pointed out by the man of God in the Word of God. This church confessed its corruption and got right. If you was to look there in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, somewhere around verses 6 through 11, you see that this man here, that they begin to, that doing that wife swapping, he had his father's wife, which wasn't his mother. It was, it was his father had been married again, but they begin to do that wife swapping. I, I've been told that in the early years of this church, y'all had a baseball team or a softball team. And the thing had to be shut down because y'all got to swapping wives. That's sin. And we don't have a softball team no more. By the way, it wasn't only this church. <laughs> it was other churches. Any church I've ever been around that got a softball team for the adults, they had problems in that area. You say, how do you know? Because I buried one of the ladies that that had happened. That's why. Y'all didn't know I knew that, did you? Now, we don't do that no more, and I'm not trying to embarrass people. I'm saying it's a sinful church, and it's got to be confessed, and that corruption's got to be repented from. And this church, as wicked as it was, it got it right. The Bible tells us in 1 John 1, 9, confess means to agree with God. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This church did not remain carnal. They stopped bragging about being carnal. You ever been around those people? They brag about their carnality. Oh, preacher... You know me, I'm just carnal. I wouldn't brag about that. It's nothing to brag about. It should be shameful. And they got it right. And they got spiritual. This Bible has a promise in it. There in 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14, If my people, which are called by my name, were his people. Oh, I know we're sinners and we sin. But if we will confess and humble ourselves and pray and seek the Lord's face, He'll turn from their, and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sins. Say, preacher, what kind of people will God use to build the church? It'll be a confessing people, not a perfect people. But when God points their sin out, they'll get it confessed and they'll agree with God that it's wrong and get it right and do their best to do right and to live right for God. But it'll be people that carry their cross. That's the mission of the church. He tells this church there in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 about verse 17, For Christ sent me not to baptize. Amen. Some churches, they emphasize that baptismal water. They think it does something for you. It just gets you wet. It's a testimony. It doesn't wash your sins away. And it sure doesn't save you. And it definitely doesn't put you in the body of Christ. Man doesn't have that power. The Holy Spirit does that. But then he says, he said he didn't come to emphasize baptism. You can insert, he said, I didn't come. Christ sent me not to sing. I mean, I'm all the time picking on that stuff. 
We don't emphasize it. We love it. It's part of worship, but we're not emphasizing the singing. I don't like bringing a singing group in and then paying the singing group a big bunch of money because there's five or six of them in a group, and then the one lonely preacher will only give him a hundred bucks. I, I don't do that. And if you thought I was doing that, it ain't happening. I'll always pay the man of God more than the singing group. Why? Because we emphasize the preaching. He said, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not with the wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. It's the preaching. God chose the foolishness of preaching. And He wants us, His people, His children, to carry the cross, the gospel cross. You say, why, preacher? Because that's where the power is. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved, it's the power of God's where the power is. When you begin to preach, there's no other preaching that you can do unlike the power that comes with the preaching of the cross. I'm looking forward to Resurrection Sunday because I'll be preaching on the cross. That's where the power is. There's power in the blood of the Lamb. There's power in the preaching of the cross. And what gives it its power is the resurrection of the Savior. And this group of people, or the kind of people that God uses to build the church, will be a group of people that will carry the cross. We need to lose ourselves in carrying the cross. We should be consumed with the gospel. You want a good addiction? We talk a lot about bad addictions. And they're bad. They're very powerful. One of the things you'll know about an addiction is it controls you. He says we need to be that way about the gospel. Here's what he says there in 1 Corinthians as he addresses this group of people in chapter 16. He said, I beseech you, brethren... Now, you know the house of Stephanus, that is, the first fruits of Achaia, and that they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. You say, what is that, preacher? That's a group of people that decided to carry the cross. They were not perfect people. As you've seen, as I pointed out in the introduction, they was a pretty carnal group of people. They was pretty wicked, but they had a desire to know more about Jesus. They had a desire to be discipled. They had a desire to carry the cross. They had a desire to come to church. And they had a desire to confess. Now buckle in kind of people that God uses to build the churches, the kind of people that clean up. You say, oh, preacher, you're meddling. No, I'm not meddling. The book's meddling. Did you see it? There in verse 11, he says, and such were some of you. Did you see that little word, were? <laughs> that means past tense. I've seen some demon-possessed woman so-called preacher try to articulate this verse the other day on some YouTube channel, and she's trying to uh, spiritualize and say that you could live in all these sin styles as long as you name the name of Jesus. That was wrong. She didn't understand plain English. He says, and such were 
some of you. But ye are washed. That means uh, there's been some repentance going on. There's been a change of your mind. Like, I don't want to be a temple prostitute no more. Jesus doesn't want temple prostitutes. Yes, he did lead the woman at the well who had had five husbands. And she was shacked up with a man that wasn't her husband. But she didn't walk away like that. She walked away a new creature in Christ. The woman that they caught and said, we caught her in the act of adultery. What did Jesus tell her? Go and sin no more. He didn't say, well, honey, just go sin it up now. No, there was a change. The kind of people that God's going to use to build the church are people they are going to clean up. This church cleaned up their lives for the Lord. They had been made sorry with a letter, according to 2 Corinthians. And they learned how to live right. The Bible says that they learned how to possess their vessel. We need to learn how to possess our vessel. And churches today are trying to tell you that whatever you are on the outside has nothing to do with the inside. That is a false doctrine. It's Gnosticism. And it's evil. And it's wicked. And they try to say, you don't know me. You can't see my heart. The Bible's real clear. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. As a man is in his heart, so is he. You're going to wear what's going on on the inside and dominating you right on the outside. So well, I don't believe that. Well, then you've been delusioned. Hang on, I'll be preaching on that next. Are you part of the rebellion? The demonic rebellion. Are you siding with the spirit of iniquity as you begin to be prepared to worship Satan? The devil doesn't care what you look like. But God says, I don't care what you used to look like. I don't care what you used to do. But when you come to me, I washed you. I justified you. I've cleansed you. I've sanctified you. That word sanctified means I set you apart. I think we got too many sows in our churches and too many dogs in our churches. You say, whoa, preacher, what do you mean? Because this Bible, I didn't say it, God did over there in Peter. He says, how you know if someone's not truly born again? He says, just like a dog returns to a vomit. <laughs> And a sow, you could wash her all up all you want. She's going to return back to her wallowing. That's how you know. Oh, preacher. Well, <laughs> maybe you shouldn't preach the messages God gave you four or five years ago. Maybe I should have preached it four or five years ago. Maybe I'm just now getting around to minding God. Those who clean up. Here's what your Bible says in 2 Timothy 2. Nevertheless, the foundation of God standeth sure, having this seal. The Lord knoweth them that are His, and let everyone that nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Oh, preacher, is that really in the Bible? Yeah, you might have ripped it out of yours, but it is still in the Word of God. Titus chapter 2 says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, and it teaches us that we're going to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. 
See, I, the Lord says, I understand you might have been a dog before you come to the cross. I understand you might have liked the vomit of the world. And I understand you temple prostitute loved all that prostitution in your temple of Aphrodite's. But now once you've been saved, that's over. We have no business wallowing around in that mess. Buckle up. The kind of people that God uses to build the church will be the kind that contribute their cash. They believe in tithing. Well, now don't turn me off. Don't turn me off the lives of you. Oh, you want my money. No, God wants your money. And by the way, if when you say you got saved, if God didn't get your money, I'd check up on what you call in salvation. You say, oh, I don't like that. That tithing stuff's Old Testament. That's because you're lost. That's why. Yeah, it got quiet, didn't it? I know. I understand we're in the highest inflation we've had in 40 years. I got it. But how come the first thing people do when they got to tighten their belt up is what they're giving to God? I'll be careful about doing that. Now, I don't know because I make it my business not to know who's putting what in the plate. But I do look at the bulletin every week. <laughs> I know what we need and I know what comes in. He said, well, I just don't think it needs to be all on my back. Then get, <laughs> we'll get to your point here in a minute. But right now I'm preaching on tithing. <laughs> oh, preacher. Well, it's not a suggestion. Take your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. This church believed in not giving. You know, they had that mentality that, well, God owns the cattle on a thousand years. Yeah, and he's let you own a few of them. He wants a couple back. All he wants is 10 cents out of a dollar. God's never raised his rates. Say, I can't afford to pay 10%. Then start out with 5%. Well, I can't afford 5 Start with 2 Here's the point. Don't not give anything. I thought it was a blessing that the youth, the kids had raised $648 in change that was in it. We got it cashed in because I was afraid somebody's going to steal it. I didn't know there's that much money in there. I'd done had vacation. Nah. I know better. This church, watch this in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 16. He says, Now concerning the collection for the saints... As I have given order to the churches upon the first day of the week. That's Sunday. That's today. He says, let every one of you. Who do you think's included? Everybody that's in the house of God. I don't know about you and what you taught your kids, but my mom and dad said, when I got to earning money because I was mowing lawns, dad said, how much you make, son? I said, man, I got 40, 50 bucks this week mowing, mowing grass. Dad said, put it on the table. I'm going to teach you a biblical lesson. I'm going to teach you a little something about what the Bible says. The Bible says over there in Luke chapter 6, he says, give. And it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down and shaken together, and running over shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. It's a principle. God said, if you give a little, I'll give you a little back. But if you give a lot, I'll give you a lot. 
And it might not necessarily be money he gives you back, but peace of mind. Maybe a trouble-free life. <laughs> Maybe you get to come off of some of those pills you're popping because you've been robbing God. Here's how you should be looking at tithing. For all the hypers that's watching this morning, I know you all are doing pretty good. You've never tried to start, well... We're not going into the past. We buried that. This church is known for taking care of its pastors. Y'all have made some special sacrifices to pay my salary. You're still making sacrifices. Y'all got that lesson down. But I want you to know there's a lot of churches that don't. And they're starving their preachers out. And they're starving their pastors and they're having to leave the ministry. They're going to have to go and go somewhere else. You say, how do you know? You're just making that up. No, I talk to pastors in this section of the world that that's happening to. There's more churches closing their doors every day than any time before in America. But we're still buying new vehicles. We're still going to Dollywood. We're still going to Disney World. We're still doing what we always do. There's a problem. Here's how you look at this for the student of the Word of God if you're saved. Number one, Abraham started it. If you're talking about tithing. Abraham started, he lived 450 years before the law. Everybody says, well, tithing is just in the Old Testament law. Hang with me. Abraham started it. Jacob continued it. Moses incorporated it into the law, but it had been practiced 450 years before Moses ever got around. And then Nehemiah restored it. Malachi commanded it. Jesus commended it. The letters in red. He said, you need to give. God ordained it there in 1 Corinthians 9. He tells you that the first missionary that the church supports is its pastor. And you don't muzzle the ox. Now, some of these preachers, they're afraid to talk about anything. like I'm not. I'm not. You say, well, you're just full of yourself. No, I try not to be. I just understand business and I understand responsibility. And I'll preach it because it's the Word of God. Not because I'm looking for a race. I do well. This church takes care of your, its pastor well. I don't say that to a whole lot of people because they'll want to come in and be a pastor here too. <laughs> I'd like us to grow a little bit more. God ordained it and Paul right here explains it. That's how you look at tithing biblically if you're going to follow the rule in 2 Timothy 3 verse 16 that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. What kind of people does God use to build the church? A giving people. And if God don't have your money, he doesn't have you. You say, oh, preacher. Yeah, I know, I'm, I'm being a little biblical this morning. I'm noted as giving lots of leniency and being real easygoing. But every once in a while, i got to get down to say, no, that's thus saith the Lord to giving people. Can you handle one more? One more? Okay. 
Nobody's sleeping this morning, are they? All right, one more. What kind of people does God use to build his church? The kind of people that'll canvas the community. He tells us there in 2 Corinthians 5 that you and I, if we're born again, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. And we're to be reconciling the lost world to Christ. That's canvassing the community, the people you know, the people you're around. And hopefully this morning I've kind of helped you with what kind of people that'll be. Just read that list there in, in verses 8, 9, and 10. That's a pretty rough group, ain't it? I know some of you work with some people like that, right? You say, oh, I'd never invite them to church. Why don't you and pray for them and see what God will do? You just don't know what God will do with a repentant sinner. Give them the opportunity to hear the gospel. Give the Holy Spirit the opportunity to work in their heart and to save them. And such were some of you. But you are washed. But you are sanctified. But you are justified. Oh, that's the kind of people God uses to build the church. He says, Aaron Matthew 28, go ye therefore into all the world, preach the gospel. That's not just to preachers, that's to everybody that's been born again. In Acts verse 1, chapter 1, verse 8, he said, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be what? Witnesses. Witnesses. The kind of people that God uses to build the church is people that will canvas the community. For Christ, bringing in the sheaves. So, preacher, I can't do much. You can burn up Facebook, can't you? <laughs> Come on, you've got a telephone, don't you? You can do drive-by visitation, can't you? You like yard selling? Yeah. Then put the church in the middle of a five-mile radius and go on a Friday and Saturday. You say, I can't walk. Ride. You know me. Work smarter, not harder. And get out to these yard sales while you're shopping and take you some of the gospel tracts off that shelf back there and invite that person that's got that yard sale and they're going to listen to you because they want your money. And you tell them, why don't you come down my church? It's in your community. Now, don't go there looking like the Corinthians. <laughs> I don't have to preach that point again, do I? <laughs> Look like God's cleaned you up a little bit. Look like the kind of person that that person would want what you got. Because you got a smile on your face, a little jingle in your pocket. Because God's blessed you. Because you're a caring church you're a going church and you're a giving church and you're the one that's going to canvas the community for christ and you watch this church grow but i will assure you if you just sit and don't do anything you'll die in sardis this is the kind of people god uses to build the church old blood-bought sinners used to be ex-bikers 
<laughs> ex-drunkards, ex-wife abusers, ex-druggers, <laughs> working women, <laughs> working men, ex, ex, ex. Oh. But they got washed. <laughs> you can tell my sheltered preacher's kid background's coming in. I can't name anything else. <laughs> I've not lived some of the lives some of these people live. But don't ever feel like you can't do nothing for God or God don't want you. God wants all of you. It's the suit-wearing, tie-wearing crowd that think that they've never done nothing wrong that God can't do nothing with. And don't you ever forget that God can do great things with a small church. Let's all stand this morning. The kind of people God uses to build the church. Sinners! <laughs> Song of invitation, please.